Hello and welcome once again to episode 113 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by a fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So Spencer, unfortunately, Apple just doesn't want you to be right. Um, and apparently <laughs> no. they're canceling the M2 Extreme. Yeah, interesting that they've done that. Okay, so like, I hope that they do it eventually but yeah um you hope that they cancel it eventually no that they make it no 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 i need to be right i need to validate myself um but yeah so they're saying that um they'll still come out with a mac pro uh with the m2 series but it'll probably just cap out at like an m2 ultra which is the same thing uh, essentially that dimitri has in his mac studio so um, I guess really the the biggest difference between like a Mac Studio and a Mac Pro would just be uh, expandability. So they're saying that you'd be able to um, put in your own RAM. It wouldn't be soldered on um, chips. And I think probably the, uh, well, let's see, it says expandability for uh, RAM, storage, and other components. So interesting if they're going to have like uh, PCIe slots or um, whatever Apple's implementation is with like the very long uh, MXM or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but then the question is like, what do you put in those modules? Um, Seems to me like most of the things, well, maybe not. My first thing is like, Capture cards, audio cards, yada yada. Yeah, you could do some audio interface stuff, but like, Probably not going to support a GPU, is my guess. Uh, maybe? I don't know. So, interesting, and I'm not sure... I don't know. Uh, from, like, a v- you know, if you were saying, oh, I'm going to build a Mac Pro for, like, video editing or something, you throw in a couple gnarly GPUs, that probably doesn't make sense, but maybe for audio engineers it does, where they, they do have, you know, uh, expensive cards that they need. An M2 Ultra with... I think it's like 1.5 times the RAM of the M1 Ultra. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be quite quite the good like video editing uh, yes. setup, like without any extra cards. Um, I would say it's more from like a 3D like rendering pipeline kind of thing. Like okay. if you're doing anything in that regard. That said, the way I see it, it will probably be a situation where the amount of RAM that you buy soldered to the chip is really your gpu memory so if you are interested in doing the kinds of things that would be limited by just that then that part that ram would be available for that uh the extra ram that you buy that's pretty much going to be for cpu stuff i don't see the gpu accessing it unless it's like super expensive ram that is not really like expandable (laughs) i don't i don't really know yeah, yeah, definitely. They've got the uh, the bandwidth and um, just being close to the silicon um, benefit of, of having the sort of on on package RAM. So that makes sense. If you, it's like you basically dedicate that as video memory, and then everything else is just normal RAM. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. I can see that happening. Um, yeah. So uh, did they say? I can't remember where. It's or why it said it was oh complexity and cost concerns um, seem to have shelved it from you know s- s- gluing two uh, M two ultras together basically so kind of a bummer but I I'm sure it's in the pipeline 
eventually to get to that point of that jade 4c die that we've talked about so or Mm -hmm. whatever the you know generational equivalent is yeah um but uh if if apple's sole goal was to disappoint spencer of course they're going to make me happy in the process um (laughs) and they're doing that uh by way of coming out with new displays with more apple silicon in them i don't know if that part's good or not uh but i'm i'm certainly happy to hear that apple is continuing uh to make displays because so far they've made two um relatively recently uh the pro display xcr which is still for sale for five thousand dollars yeah um which i feel like is a bit antiquated in terms of like technology at this point um from just like the approach that they took um and they can probably make the same exact thing for way cheaper see the ipad for instance it doesn't um, even have an iPhone in it, essentially. Come on. Yeah, so so old. Um, so old. <laughs> so old. Uh, but yeah, it seems like they are planning uh, several new displays. Um, so that's something to look forward to. I wonder, are they going to fix the cameras? Or are they just not going to well, include a camera like they did with the Pro Display XDR? <laughs> they're just like, we're not even going to touch that. That's way out of our... That's too complex. We can make a 7K display, but, you know, new camera? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, yeah, so it talks about um, them jumping up from a 6K uh, display, which is what the Pro Display XDR is now, to a 7K display that either could have a p- higher pixel density and keep it at the same 32 inches or maybe jump up to like a 36-inch panel. So my question is, what would you prefer if they had to go one way or the other? I would say keep the panel size the same and up the density. Okay. Yeah, I think that would make it align with the laptops, if I remember the math correctly. Mm. Which means if you have a laptop right next to your display, you're not going to have any weird like shifts in size uh, for things that are side by side. And I think that's going to be the main use case that most people are likely to have, uh, where they have like their one laptop connected to their one display. Um, So... I don't think any of the current Macs will have trouble running, like driving a 7K display, especially mm-hmm. with display stream compression. Right. So I think we should be like good in that sense for this to happen. Uh, it's just a question of when, right? Yeah. And I think, I'm sure they're thinking about compatibility. Um, well, yeah. they just have to come out with new computers and then compatibility, shmabability. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know, but I think they may get a little bit of backlash if they're just like, oh, sorry, doesn't work with any of these Macs that you just bought that were $4,000 or whatever. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. It, it seems like they're behind on coming out with these, meaning that the new Mac Pro, whatever shape that takes, will be coming out prior to the display being available like they might announce it at the same time but then the display is not available then and there at the same moment in time uh that seems to be the current like rumor that's uh going around with regard to uh that but that also basically means that we will be getting a mac pro relatively soon um likely in 2023 um extreme or not i think that will be good for the mac ecosystem uh for that to be there it seems like we'll also be getting m2 pro uh mac minis so it's no longer going to be the base chip for the mac minis which 
I think they have plenty of headroom for. Yeah. Um, and uh, finally, IMAX, right? That's the last. There's the there's a little IMAX, and now we likely want a larger IMAX uh, to exist, and that will probably fit that like that spot in the line with those new chips. Yeah. I just looked it up just as like a quick follow up. The uh, MacBook Pros with the Liquid Retina XDR display, 254 pixels per inch. So even if it was rumored, it's not quite there, but it's within nine pixels per inch. So you'd probably not notice the difference. Or Over over 10 inches, that's 90 pixels. Uh, I, well, maybe Dimitri would with his equal eyes. <laughs> I, should, I certainly wouldn't, but... No, the the part where you notice is when you move a window between one to the other. Yeah, your mouse does not like go to the same spot yeah. at one side of the screen versus the other. Um, so that's like the only thing. Like you're trying to get your mouse to a smaller screen, just like not going, um, or it goes and it's like you're not even close to it. Those kinds of silly issues. Yeah. Uh, but that's not really issues. And at the end of the day, it's just being pedantic. So, uh, that's all good, uh, but it seems like Apple may be, uh, they're, they're being forced, clearly, uh, but they are finally planning uh, to, like, open up to the world where they don't have exclusive control uh, on the apps, like they do on the App Store. Um, and it seems like they're going to be exclusively thinking about doing this via sideloading rather than what everyone has almost been talking about of alternate app stores existing. And I think there's an important difference between the two because if you are allowing sideloading, people might think, well, you can just put an alternate store at the same time. But an alternate store may not have the ability to install new apps at the same time. Uh, It might just be locked to that one app, and then you'll still need to sideload apps via the regular mechanism Uh, And that is up to Apple's choosing. You might need to own a Mac, for instance, to be able to do it uh, successfully. Um, And you might not be able to do it from the device itself. Like, you can't just go to a website and download another app. Uh, So this seems like it's potentially the approach that Apple um, may take in uh, iOS 17. Because uh, it seems like the pressure is all around them at the moment to kind of get this going. The EU has mandates for it. Uh, France just fined them a million dollars, which is nothing to Apple. It's everything to us, but nothing to Apple. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's just, that's, that's going to be the new lay of the land. It seems. Yep. Um, In, in this nine to five Mac article that we've got, the last paragraph I think is kind of interesting. It says, Apple's considering the idea of mandating certain security requirements, even if the software is distributed outside the store. Um, and these apps could require verification by Apple, a process that could carry a fee for developers. Uh, you know, whether or not they, they do that moves forward, uh, or whether or not Apple moves forward with this aspect remains to be seen. So interesting. Um, I mean, I definitely get that they want to not just completely open the floodgates, but they want to kind of maintain a, a bit of um, control. But through that control, there is, you know, security. Um, that's kind of their angle on it, I guess, which makes sense to me. So, uh, yeah, it seems like they just don't have a choice, though, at all with the EU. So 
I guess one thing is I wonder if they're going to only make it available in the EU where they have to, or if they're just going to be like, well, if the EU does it, then the US is probably going to follow suit and we'll just open it up and then it won't become a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it seems from the internal leaks that are going on, Apple plans to just do it worldwide rather than have oh. like an EU only solution. Um, and it also seems, I think John Gruber uh, went ahead and read the full like multi hundred page thing or looked through it at the very least. Um, and he didn't find anything that precluded Apple from like charging uh, commission fees uh externally or not uh which puts a big legal onus on whoever decides to do things via the side loading route um and that's certainly something that the large companies that would have loved to get away with this on ios were likely not going to get away with uh or are likely not going to get away with from a financial point of view uh meaning uh they will likely still be forced to pay apple uh probably much onerous terms than yeah. uh, what's available in the App Store. Um, and therefore, that is likely why Apple has been very careful about dipping the 30% uh, over the years, uh, probably because they wanted to keep that option always open uh, for them to be kind of mean to companies that want to do this on their own. Yeah, it'd be just funny if they're just like, okay, we're dropping it to 15%. But only inside the App Store, everyone else still pays 30%. I mean, that's what it kindly, it kind of is right now, right? If you're yeah. a small developer, you get 15% up until you become mm. a large developer. That's fair. Yeah, good point. So I, I definitely see this as being a very similar situation where, hey, uh, if you, that's, that's a promotion that's going on on the App Store. Uh-huh. It's not yeah. a promotion that you get for like distributing apps on our platforms. Um and while we can't do that on the Mac anymore, we are certainly not going to let go of the reins yeah. for iOS, which yeah. I guess like I can see a lot of benefits towards, mostly not from the business point of view, but from the hobbyists, the students. Um, I think a lot of people will benefit. Like I think the developer for Delta, which is an emulator um, for like a whole bunch of classic systems, uh, that oh, runs on iOS. Yeah. Yes, he runs uh, an alternate app store that runs via sideloading, which is a hundred percent positive possible today. Like this mm-hmm. is not anything that Apple, like Apple, needs to make it a little bit more open than it already is open. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. it, it's not open enough for the likes of Facebook, but it's definitely open enough if you wanted to tinker. Um, mm-hmm. And and he put all the effort into making it possible for you to do that. Um, and he basically shared his opinion that like. Hey, like whatever the outcome, if side loading is the way we, the only thing we get, I'm happy with that because that means I can distribute my app, which is Delta. Yes, not for money, but like at the very least, I can go ahead and let people download and play with it without them having to worry about having developer accounts and stuff like that. Yeah, so it is. that from that point of view, I think that's great because when we were students, the number one thing that like not when we were students, when we were teaching students. Uh, the number one thing that kept coming up was, uh, hey, how do I get it building to my phone? And yes, you can build like three apps three to your phone apps. at once. Yeah. Uh, but then you quickly run out of that limit and then you need to pay $99. And for a student, $99 is not trivial. Um, it's trivial right. when you make money doing software development, but it's not trivial 
uh, for someone who's just getting started. Um, that can be a large purchase, even compared to the devices that you're using, which you might have gone secondhand or for free or using uh, a public resource. So I think that it's going to be really good for the development community and the hobbyist community as a whole for this to happen. Um, I can definitely see uh, Meta and Facebook uh, kind of abusing this because they're unhappy with how ads are run on the iOS app store. So therefore they go ahead and do their own thing and still pay whatever costs they need to pay, um, Mm -hmm. which is going to be bad for normal people because normal people are going to download it um, and normal people are going to be... Yeah, they're definitely going to be taken advantage of. uh, And I think that's a shame that at least on an Apple platform, that is going to become possible, right? Yep, exactly. I I agree that I think it's a positive move for for people, people, not companies, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. in general. Um, But yeah, I think there are definitely going to be people like, or companies like Facebook that are going to sort of abuse this openness in a way that is not... um, productive i think you've got both sides of the coin but i agree that you know like the the developer of of delta sorry i thought you meant like the the um flight or the the airline (laughs) delta Uh, airlines i was like uh, poor delta airlines i know (laughs) but yeah the the developer of this emulator i mean he's done a ton of work to do the alt store i've tried it out um because i wanted to try out delta but um you have to renew certificates every seven days or if you're a developer every year and you've got this little mail server plugin that's running on your mac and it's like it's contrived for sure and it's Mm -hmm. not it's it's pretty onerous just to get it working and then ah crap i haven't uh it hasn't connected to my mac in seven days so now i can't open the app and you know it's a whole thing so the alternative is easy spencer just go to github go ahead and clone the repo I agree, and that's what I've done, and I've just run it on Xcode, like built it myself. But normal people wouldn't do that, right? It's it's um, so crazy that the easier solution is to run a full development environment and then click the button. Like yeah. it's not like there's a lot of steps to that. It's much easier, but it's much more scary in a way because now it's like yeah. you're downloading code and you have to compile the code and your computer yeah. fans are going crazy for the first time that you've never heard <laughs> and it's like what is going on um yeah. but you've done like three steps um for that process that's kind but of like a normal silly. person wouldn't do that they wouldn't no download they would... a 15 gig version of x code and you know mm-hmm. it's like it's a whole thing not have enough space so. for it yeah <laughs> So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how this pans out in um, probably iOS 17, like Dimitri said. We'll see. What uh, do they have to like the end? Of, oh, no, that, that's the uh, USB-C port. When do they have to do this? I have no the idea. EU? Oh. I think they're probably going to just drag their feet until they're ready for it. I would that's have fair. assumed they could have been ready for it for iOS 16, right? Um, but maybe they're busy building like more parts of the system to be more robust um like one piece that they are considering opening up uh as well for this is to allow um non-webkit uh or non-system bundled webkit uh browsers meaning that chrome is finally going to have a chromium render um 
or is it called Blaze now? I, I don't remember. Uh, but Firefox can go ahead and render Firefox. And I think that will be fine. Like, certainly the people who are using Chrome already, they're going to get a better experience out of that, right? Right. Um, and certainly it's going to be a less good experience on uh, iOS for people who are using Apple's ecosystem, and they're just not going to go ahead and use Chrome in that case, right? Um, because like their book bookmarks are not necessarily going to be shared, uh, but yeah. also things like opening other apps from within uh, the browser, that's not necessarily going to be easy or possible because Chrome is not going to know what apps are installed, but Safari can because it's, it's like part of the system. So um, certain things like that are going to be a little bit different, um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, in this nine to five Mac article, I think it's kind of interesting. It says that, um, some people, some engineers within Apple are viewing it as a quote, distraction from typical day-to-day development of future really future features end quote, which is fair. Um, so, and it hasn't been a popular initiative within Apple. And let's see, there was one other thing. Oh, maybe not. So yeah, doesn't sound like everyone's super stoked about it, and I get that. But um, I mean, when the EU mandates it, it's kind of like, well, that sucks. And it, I'm they're probably dragging their feet about the USB-C thing as well. But um, mm-hmm. that's also going to happen at the end of the year next year, by the end yeah. of the year next year. So, and once again, they could have done it sooner. Uh, they could have like yeah. been yeah, ahead of, of course. it. Um, but they're gonna they're gonna take as long as they need to, I guess. They certainly don't need this much time to implement stuff like this. Uh, They are doing it purely out of not wanting to do it. Um, And I get it. No, no. uh, Putting a USB-C port in the iPhone, that's mind-blowingly hard. That's so hard. There's no room. You don't even know. I know. That one student, like, they they (laughs) threw away the display in the process. I was just going to say, there was a guy that already did it. Yeah. I would say one good thing out of... Uh, all of this happening is that Apple can finally be more strict about what kind of apps make it onto the app store. Yeah. Um, and I think this is something that they've wanted to do, but just couldn't because they're the sole gatekeeper. And if they don't become the sole gatekeeper, then they can be a lot more strict about what they want on their store versus what they don't want. Um, and, I, I don't know what kind of shape this will take. I've long argued that I think something like the App Store, like if Apple had gone in front of this, they could have probably skipped sideloading and just let anyone post anything. It's just only available if you direct link it kind of thing. Right. Um, yep. And every the rest of the store is a super hard thing that you would have to uh, really have the best of the best, the cream of the crop uh, type of app to be part of it's super exclusive and therefore it's something that you can get clear uh guidance as far as like why you were not accepted and you can improve on and get to the point where you have something that's super highly polished um that then gets posted uh for all of the ios users to go ahead and see and therefore you get a whole lot more money out of that um so i think that could have been a great thing that the app store could have turned into and it didn't uh but now that we've come to this point maybe it can um and i guess we will see what apple does 
uh, with this, they might just squander that as well because they're making more money uh, letting people be scammed by these yeah. various in-app purchase like stuff. Um, and that's not great, but that's they're certainly making a lot of money out of it. Um, so I don't see why they would necessarily stop at this point. It's we've long we've long lost the Apple that would have cared about something like that. Um, but yeah, can always dream, right? Yep, gotta appease the shareholders. Uh, and uh, another example of appeasing the shareholders, and in this case, shareholders being uh, Swift developers. Uh, <laughs> there's a new pitch over on Swift Evolution. Uh, for if and switch expressions and this is kind of awesome uh if you've ever written anything that used a ternary operator um you probably had to first learn what the ternary operator is and then like spend many times looking it up before it like stuck with you from a memorization point of view um and it is not the greatest thing to read um but uh, with if and switch expressions, you can go ahead and say let my variable equals if, and then your condition uh, a is less than ten. Open curly brackets, and then you can go ahead and put a string there. Close curly brackets. Else if a is uh, greater than ten, open curly brackets, and then put another value there, and all of that would get evaluated into the variable that precedes it. Um, and I think this is really, really cool. Yeah, I agree. It, they've got a bunch of examples on here for like, this is how you might do it with an if statement uh, currently, or uh, like you said, a, um, a ternary operator or whatever. Um, it's really cool that it makes it a lot more, less sort of obtuse to read. Um, mm -hmm. You don't have to put like the return statement, so it's pretty clear um, and and concise about what you're trying to do there. So seems like a really cool um, <clears throat> just way to sort of clean up the code. And yeah, like there there's one part about the ternary that I thought was pretty good. Let's see if I can find it real quick. So yeah, it gives us a, a, an example of like a switch statement of returning one, two, or three based on um, some value of, of like a Unicode character. Um, then it says, in other cases, the user might be tempted to lean heavily on the harder to read ternary syntax. And I think that's kind of the whole thing is making things much easier to kind of digest. And we're all looking for cleaner code. So um, this would definitely do it. Um, it. It feels very much reminiscent of, or at least reminds me of um, the new if let syntax where you don't have to write it twice. It's just mm -hmm. functionally it's the same, but it looks a lot cleaner and you don't have to kind of sit there and reason about things. So. And you can potentially use the if let like syntax for this, right? You can oh, say true. let my variable equals if let another variable, um, and then like decompose it. Else decompose something else, right? Um, mm -hmm. So you can totally do whatever you want. I think I'm most happy for this for computed properties, where the body of the computed property was just a switch statement, um, yeah. like with a one line conversion from one type to another. Um, and I got so used to not needing to type return statements in computer properties. Um, and then all of a sudden you want to do something with a little bit more complexity. Now you have to have return statements for every single case. And that looks, uh, not as great. Um, so this is purely like how the code looks and making it more yeah. readable. Um, and I think it aligns well with 
Swift's goals up until now. Sure, you don't have to use it. Sure, you can use uh, linters to to yell at you if you take any of these shorthands. Um, or you can embrace them, and I, I kind of like embracing right. them. Right. Yeah. There's another part in here. I don't know if this is actually a part of the this specific uh, proposal, but it talks about using the same sort of syntax for do expressions as well, which would be cool. So you could, you know, essentially have a, like let foo of type string equal and then a, like a do try catch block. Uh, so you could use throwing functions as well, which I think would be kind of nice too. Definitely. So, yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, one more reminder about the Swift evolution process. Uh, there is a corresponding Swift forms post with every uh, one of these um, proposals that come through, uh, and they invite the community to voice your opinion. If you really don't like this and you have a good reason why, go ahead and comment on on that forum post and explain your reasoning, and people will listen. Um, yep. They they are going to take take everything that gets said into account, assuming like good arguments are made. If you say I don't like it because it's different. Um, then that's not gonna that's not gonna get very far. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But if you say you don't like it because it makes things harder to read and it is ripe for uh, confusing beginners or whatnot, uh, then uh, you are going to have a good chance that whatever you propose is going to be considered and uh, the whole thing is going to be improved on. This week's episode of Code Completion is once again brought to you by Super Easy Timer. Super Easy Timer is a quick and easy to use timer app for your Mac. It's completely text-based, so you can type in English what you want, 20 minutes or 5 p.m., hit enter, and instantly start a timer. The timer understands English text to create, update, and start a new timer. You can quickly change uh, an active countdown, even while it's still counting down. There are simple keyboard shortcuts to reset or pause, no menus, no sliders, just use English to control your timer. We want to thank Super Easy Timer for sponsoring our show. Search for Super Easy Timer on the Mac App Store today to give it a try. So, Spencer, I hear uh, that you've got a code completion tip for me this time. Yes, I do. Okay, so I was dealing with just moving some UI elements around. We're um, in UIKit land. Um, and they were in a stack view. And what I needed to do was there were like four buttons... Um, and I needed to add one more into the stack view, but the spacing between that button and the rest of the four buttons were not the same. So this, let's say these four buttons had like five points of spacing. This other mm -hmm. one needed 12. So my first sort of thought was like, okay, I'll, um, put that in a stack view, that new button in a stack view and some like seven point spacer view. So it was seven plus five. We'll have 12 spaces and we'll be good. Um, mm -hmm. And it wasn't working for some reason. I don't know if I, what I was doing wrong, but like I couldn't get that spacer view to actually show up, even though I manually like I was setting the frame. I tried constraining it; it didn't work. Anyway, now so I was like, okay, I'll try something else. Um, and what I eventually found was in the documentation. Um, of course, I should have checked there first, but there is this um, set custom spacing after method in UI Stack View. Um, and so you just give it uh, the spacing that you want. So I said 12 after some sub view, after an array sub view in there. And it just set the spacing for that one um, between that one view and, and it's the next arranged sub, sub view. So 
came out to be a really easy one-liner fix um, when I was trying to like put a stack view in a stack view with some blank header view or some blank spacer view and ended up being kind of a really clean solution that I didn't even know um, existed. So yeah, and it's been around since iOS 11, so I have no real excuse for not knowing it existed. I was like wondering like, oh, did that come out in like iOS 15 or something? Nope, iOS 11. So, but yeah, it ended up being a really clean solution. You have a great excuse because so much stuff has been added to UIKit over the years that it's very hard to keep up unless you actively use everything every time it comes out and therefore remember it exists, right? Okay. Yeah. But sure. We'll yeah. Work with that. <laughs> <laughs> um I would I would say like a sub tip of this tip is use stack views all over your UIKit code. Stack views yeah. are awesome and they simplify a whole lot of the process of dealing with constraints um to the point where you hardly have to deal with actually spelling right. out any constraints you just go ahead and say like hey my stack view is constrained but then everything in the stack view like you can compose them of different size stack views so for today's mini review corner um i have a different thing i bought recently uh and this is called a flick so it's this little button um i don't know if you've well it's really bright okay uh it's this little button um, and it can be programmed to do anything you want, really. Um, the neat thing about it, though, is you can connect it up to HomeKit, and you can go ahead and mm. directly control its behavior within the Home app, so you don't have to, like, futz around with its own app uh, after that point, um, which means that you can go ahead and uh, set it up to turn on your lights, or turn off your lights, or unlock the door, um, or all sorts of other things so it's this little bluetooth uh button here um you can get them in like a pack of three or six along with a hub which is Mm. a long range bluetooth um device basically you don't have to use the hub you can do it with your connected directly to your phone it won't do the home kit stuff um but you can still like use them Uh, but if you have the hub then you can connect it up to home kit um because the hub can connect via wi-fi um and yeah i found them to be tremendously useful because say you have a home that has switches for room on one side of the room but not on the other uh and you are very often on the other side and need light (laughs) and you have nothing um yes you can scream out to the the wonderful lady in the box to turn on the lights um but sometimes it's nighttime and you don't want to scream out uh to the lady in the box uh, and therefore having a wall switch of some sort would be really good. So what's really convenient is these comes with a little sticky uh, mm. pad uh, that you can just go ahead and uh, put wherever you want. Um, and uh, yeah, the way I programmed it was uh, one click will kind of dim the lights to some very low number. Um, double click will put them at... Uh, Regular brightness. I, I, I don't want to say full brightness because all my lights are set to 50% because it's a lot more reasonable to not have blinding lights. And then if you need blinding lights, you can always up it. Um, so that's why I have regular sets of 50. Um, and then long press is turn the lights off. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're very easy to, to set up. They're very easy to stick on the wall um, and have be permanent there. Um, I have... We have one at our bedside to turn off the lights in the bedroom uh, without needing to call out to the lady or get a device. Um, I attempted to use one uh, to unlock my front door uh, because for whatever reason, uh, 
it really does HomeKit really doesn't want you to like unlock doors uh like from carplay i guess or from like proximity for probably for good reason uh, yeah. But if you have the little switch, you can set it to unlock the door. Unfortunately, it was too far, so I have to revisit that idea. Um, but yeah, I'm sure many of uh, you who have a HomeKit setup can probably find a use for something like this. So um, yeah, give them a give them a try. That's cool. I've I've known about you know like I guess you call them like smart buttons, mm-hmm. um, but that's cool. I didn't know that like with that you could have different gestures basically like tap double tap long press that's cool so it doesn't you're not sort of limited to one thing but like you said uh you can have one for like turning on the lights and off not like having two next to each other one for on or one for off uh something like that so that's that's neat that it can do more than one thing i guess at once Mm -hmm. yeah originally i was looking for like a slim wall switch that looks like a wall switch, behaves like a wall switch, but uh-huh. you just tape to the wall and just like connects via HomeKit. Um, and yeah. I could not for the life of me find anything reasonable. Um, so I went with the the really small thing that was like obviously different. Um, and they, they're kind of like little doorknobs. Uh, doorbells, sorry, not doorknobs. Um, they're kind of like little doorbells. So if you put one on top of the other, it almost looks like a switch. You don't have to have it be on and off, but you can have it control two switches, for instance. Sure, yeah. Um, so, That's like, cool. in our case, we have uh, at our dining room. Our dining room is kind of in between the kitchen and the living room, but it's all an open floor plan. So, mm-hmm. uh, the dining room lights are all the way at the entrance of the house, which is the opposite side of the living room. So, if you're coming from the living room, you have, like, no lighting until, like, a certain <laughs> yeah. point in time. Uh, so, we added... Uh, one each for the kitchen and for the dining room so that way we can access those lights um i added one uh, on the side kitchen door to turn on the kitchen lights because it turns out the switch there is for the outdoors not for the indoors um so little things like that um have been really nice at the where our bedroom is that leads into the living room and then the rest of the house i have one to either put all the lights on at a very dim light so that way you can like navigate uh the house in the middle of the night um, or you can press and hold and turn off all the lights. So um, those kinds of uh, things. Yeah. I, it took me a while to like settle on like what I wanted every gesture to do because there are those three gestures. Um, and I think I really like the one press for dim, two presses, like just quick like that would put it to regular brightness and then press and hold turns it off. Um, nice. Especially with dimmable switches, like the press and hold feels like you're pressing and holding and then it starts dimming. And it's like, oh, I did the action. Um, so it's pretty responsive. They work well. They have a little light. I don't know if you can see it on the camera. Mm-mm. No, it's so dark here, down there. Um, so they they will apparently last for a long time. I don't know yet. Um, but yeah, highly recommended so far. Cool. Are the batteries just like coin cell batteries that you can replace? I believe so. I have not tried taking it apart yet. Um, so I don't even know how to replace them. Um, so who knows? All right. Well, I guess we'll uh, see in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely replaceable. Um, I just don't oh, know good. how to replace oh. them. As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us at Twitter or on Macedon.social at CloudCompletion to know when new episodes go live 
or feel free to tweet at us uh, if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunyol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.